What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Frank. Mike, number eight. That's already eight episodes, man. This is like so exciting. Uh, hearing all of the positive feedback from everybody from the first seven episodes. Thank you guys so much. I'm so excited uh, for our guest today. Uh, she is a model. She is a public speaker. Uh, and she is somebody that I got to meet five years ago uh, at a school event. Uh, she is so incredible. Her story is amazing. And I can't wait for everybody to hear what she has to say. Yeah, our, our guest today is Aisha Robinson. Um, she has a condition known as vitiligo, um, which she's going to talk a little bit about, I'm sure. Uh, and it's really to understand her journey. She started a foundation, uh, Born to Rise, which is really a speaking event. So I'd be curious to understand what the mantra, what the mission, and what it's all about. So, Mike, if you're ready, I think I'm ready. You Let's ready? Show on the road. Let's do it. And let's enjoy the eighth episode of Keeping It Frank. Welcome to the show, Aisha. Uh, so just to give our, our viewers and listeners just a little uh, heads up of who you are, uh, we want to get to know you, get the listeners involved. So just introduce yourself, you know, who are you and just, uh, yeah, take it away. Hi, guys. So my name is Aisha Robinson, born and raised here in Montreal. Um, so let's, I like to say that my life started uh, when I was 18 and I kind of just fell into my own after finding uh, self-love and becoming uh, a model, a published model and uh, the founder of a nonprofit orga organization called Born to Rise. Um, but I'd like to say that I'm literally just your average girl that kind of took a situation that anyone could have seen and what I had once saw as negative and turning into uh, something that is positive. So mm -hmm. now I live by that mantra, which is, you know, make lemons out of, make lemonade out of lemons mm -hmm. and just trying to make best of every situation, every obstacle that is thrown my way. Nice. And so you, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, your life started at uh, 18, but let's take it back uh, a little bit before that. Uh, give us, you know, like what was uh, early childhood like for Aisha Robinson growing up, you know, school-wise, what was, what was that like? So I grew up in the, uh, in West Island. I moved to West Island when I was eight years old. Prior to that, to that, I was living in La Salle. Uh, I was like a, a street kid. So what's that mm. movie called? Um, what's, the, oh my God, there's a movie with the Olsen twins and they like switch places. They get mistaken for their identity. Oh, oh my I, goodness. Uh, Lindsay Lohan. Um, no, 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 not Parent Trap. No, not Parent Trap. <laughs> they're sisters. They're identical strangers. Our, our oh my goodness. Has, they're signaling us like, we know <laughs> what it is. Uh, I have no idea. I'm not a cinephile. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, but there's this part in that movie that, that relates strongly with me. Um, 
where like you'd be like that neighborhood kid and all the kids in the neighborhood would come out and we'll play like soccer baseball uh we'll ring door like ring on people's doorbells and run away and like that was the type of i was like a troublemaker i was like the the leader of the pack um but living in la salle was very diverse all different types of cultures my friends were indian uh asian black white whatever um uh uh, ethnicity I was friends with everybody and that kind of changed when I moved to the West Island I was um, put into an elementary school that left me to be the only black kid in my grade and the the third in the whole entire school so um, that came with its with its own uh, issues of like uh, social identity um, not knowing not thinking less of myself because of the color of my skin. I was bullied for it. Um, people would call me the N-word or like just pick on me because of the, the color of my skin. So I went through my bullying phase in elementary school. Um, then fast last, forward. Did that last the, the whole time or did it, did it kind of like subdue after when people kind of got a little bit more cultured or a bit more used to it or, or it was kind of right through it all? right through it all it was through right through it all but don't get me wrong it was like just a certain group of kids that would bully me not the whole entire school exactly yeah so i did have like my friends but there was always that certain group that would at lunchtime they'd call me over just to like make fun of me or i i don't know if you guys remember icq the chat they were so back in the day okay so i'm i'm old then (laughs) but like it was like the msn uh, okay okay. it was was called icq so it was like when you get home and that was the chat that people would go and like bully you on and so um yeah i mean that's that's the worst i think like especially now i think about it a lot and i feel like bad kids not only like they have to go to school and they're bullied and then you know you go on online and you know exactly with, with social media, it just continues it's like it's endless torment there's, it's, it's kind yeah. of brutal there's no escape for some and i think uh i watch a lot of movies in regards to bullying just to like get a sense of what other people go through and the stories that other people are creating and it all boils down to the same thing which is that bullies are hurt people hurting people so uh, I think that's something that's in one of when I go to uh, speak at schools that's one of the messages that I share is that bullies are just people that don't know how that are that lack attention and there's something going on in their own personal lives that's create creating them to be the person that they're um, being to other people yeah. yeah exactly that's a good way of phrasing it Isha very good Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, you're going through elementary, you go through high school, uh, at the age of 18, you know, your, your world kind of flips. Right. And, and so take us through that moment where you realize, and, and yeah, so take us through that moment of realization and, you know, what happens afterwards. Right. So at the age of 18, so after elementary went to high school and high school I kind of found my grounding because I was in school with my older brother so I was in grade seven he was in grade 10 so yes exactly so I went from being bullied to being the bully so Mm. everybody that you know that ever picked on me or the ones that I saw were in my position in elementary um, in the sense where they had no one to back them to back them up and they were casted out as being different those were my targets um 
And for and if I can ask you, John, why do you think that happened? Do you think it was because of your experience in elementary? It was kind of like, hey, you know, I, I don't want to be in that position again. So the way for me not to be in that position is to to kind of be on the offense and be the bully or, or what caused you to kind of uh, flip the switch on that one? Yeah, I think that definitely plays a role in it. And I also think because um, I didn't, I saw white people as, uh, so it was white people that would bully me. So I right. thought, I saw them kind of like as superior and I was craving for their attention and craving to be liked by them. So I wouldn't bully them. I would bully the ones that would look different because that's all I guess psychologically made me think that uh, other people, if you weren't white, you were lesser than. Hmm. So it was easier. Tar was an easier target. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I understand. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. So I was up until grade nine. I was like the bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I was really <laughs> bad. Like <laughs> only when necessary, and like there's no other gotcha. way to put it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so then, so up until grade nine, I was, I was terrible to this one girl. Um, and then one day she basically came up to me and she's like, you know, I'm going through a lot of things at home and I come to school and you don't make life easier to me and she, easier for me, sorry. And she just started crying. And I think that was not that I think, I know that was my wake up call when I realized what I was doing and I was like, holy shit, like I'm projecting what I, issues I haven't dealt with onto other people. And mm -hmm. since that day, I, I stopped. I became like really good friends with her, and uh, everyone that I had once bullied, I became friends with just the whole school. And um, but just by doing that, my life became much smoother, much easier. Um, I didn't have to, because it, it it is a burden that you carry when you are being mean to somebody mm -hmm. else. It's a certain type of burden. It's it's. It is, it's a load that you carry. I always you. tell people it's, it's more exhausting being mean yeah. and negative than just being positive and just going exactly. with the flow and just doing your own thing. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely felt way lighter once I stopped with those little shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good thing. Um, I mean, and, and I think there's a lot of power in that too, right? It's, uh, it, it's, it's turning over a new leaf in, in many ways, but at the same time for you, I mean, you heard someone else kind of express mm. something you were probably feeling when you were in elementary school, right? And you're like, wait a minute, wake up call. And, and sometimes right. that's what it takes. Exactly, exactly. So I'm fortunate for her um, for being so courageous to even come and speak to me. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. not an easy thing to yeah. do. At, at so. 15, yeah. yeah. At 15, to be comfortable with, you know, another girl exactly. who is, is doing this to you. Yeah. And then even for you, right, to have that, like, oh shit moment mm -hmm. uh, it's something many 15 year olds don't realize until way 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 later right exactly um, so now i mean you're kind of going through high school and and i mean i've read quite a bit of articles as well so um i mean i guess kind of explain the transition now where you know you turn 18 i believe you you drop out of school if i'm not mistaken aisha right. um can you kind of like talk us through like kind of that period of your life as well yeah exactly so Sorry about that. No problem. It's not COVID, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's become a cliche joke yeah. now every time yeah. someone calls. It's good. It means we're healing. It means we're. Uh... Like... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so then after. Um, so, in high school, you know, 
although I was surrounded with people, it was, I went to um, Lindsay Place and it was very diverse. Everybody of all different ethnicities went to that school. And I had my group of uh, black friends, people that finally looked like me. So it was funny though, because even I was hanging out with them, I did not feel black enough because these were the first black people that I was around other than like my family and whatnot. I always was around, um, white friends and you know people that uh, that did not look like me so they were so um comfortable in their skin and that was something that I struggled with so I even struggled fitting in with them so even before what I'm about to say I'm saying this just because it leads up to what I'm going to explain after exactly (laughs) um so yeah so I just dealt with uh self-identity crisis prior to me being diagnosed with um, the skin condition that I have. Um, So this happened in my second year at Dawson College. I go to Dawson because I was a huge basketball player. I was a basketball player since I was six years old. And that was the school that my older brother went to. So he played for the AAA Dawson Blues. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go play for the AAA Dawson Blues. My mom, like, I had no idea what I was studying. I just went into social sciences. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, as long as I'm playing basketball. <laughs> That's um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then uh, going into school, I ended up getting cut from the AAA basketball team. And it was a shock because, you know, when you're growing up, you're always like the MVP of your team, captain, all-star. So it was a real like kick to my ego. Um, but I have to, I have no one to blame but myself because on the second tryout, I was so nervous that I sat out that tryout. So my second tryout, I said I wasn't feeling well, and I, which was true. I just made myself so nauseous and sick because of fear of actually getting cut. So I kind of canceled myself out before even giving myself a try so obviously the coach saw that he was like I I can't have you on my team if you're not going to put in any effort you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um so so yeah so that was it but what what really hurt my ego is that when I went to play double a they were they kind of my coach kind of like knocked my confidence by telling me they put me in a position that I never played in my life before um they told me I wasn't good enough. I was a bench player, meaning like not getting any minutes. So I was like, how does this, ha-? like, I don't understand. Like it was the point where the AAA coach went to go speak to their coach. Cause they're like, what, like, what are you doing? You know? So I like that. And I'm saying all this, this is part of my story because as I mentioned earlier, um, I went to school solely on playing basketball. Mm-hmm. So when I got cut and then I'm, on the double a team and i'm not getting playing time this is just like and then i'm realizing that oh school is a factor i can't just play basketball i actually have to get an education so all of this was weighing down on me which caused a tremendous um um, amount of stress on my well-being um and because of that i saw like this i got this white one white spot on my thumb and i had an idea as to what it was because i've heard uh, my grandfather actually has vitiligo himself, and my friend that I went to high school with, she has vitiligo, but she's of lighter complexion, so it's really hard to see. Um, so when I saw it, I, you know, you know, when you get a scab, 
and then you kind of peel off the skin and then it turns white but then it grow, like your skin goes back to the color so that's what I thought it, I was hoping it was that but after a couple of weeks when it was still there I was like okay no like this might be vitiligo so I showed my friend I was um we had the blues room which was a sports room so I was like okay I'm like come with me to the bathroom I showed it to her and she just looked at me and she's like Aisha you have vitiligo and I kid you not, I just dropped to my knees and I just started bawling my eyes out because I only saw my life going downhill from there where I didn't see myself being accepted by others. I see myself possibly going all white. I see myself, I saw myself being ugly, not being accepted by others. Um, and for my friend of lighter complexion, she has such a hard time dealing with it. I was like, if this is hard for her and you can't see vitiligo, what does that mean for myself? You know, mm -hmm. uh, so this led to the, the from, this led me to go into a depression state. Um, I tried, to, I attempted suicide twice, um, and I was just in a in a funk. I dropped out of high school because I just wanted to avoid those situations where. Um, to give up an opportunity for other people to make fun of me, to stare at me. And people are really cruel. <laughs> Some yeah. people could be real a-holes. Like, I remember I was in pharmacy once, and this guy, he was like, you know, uh, uh, my friend has vitiligo, and he went to Cuba to get a, to get a treatment. And I, I, like, it was nice that he's giving me advice, but, like, at the same time, he's telling me that I need to get, like, I shouldn't walk around yeah, in the skin when I'm in, yeah. like go, go get, like, he's like, you should go. Why wouldn't you go? Like, you could look normal. And this is like, this is the conversation going back. And I, as I'm telling him, like, no, no, like, I'm comfortable in my own skin and whatnot. So, uh, so yeah. And then, like, I remember I went to McDonald's on my birthday and I was waiting in line. This two-year-old, she um, got a glimpse of me and she started crying and she's, like, pointing at me in front of, like, the whole of McDonald's in oh. line. She's like, oh, she's like, yeah, she's a monster. She's a monster. I didn't even wait for my food. Like, I couldn't, like, stand there anymore. I, I just, like, laughed. And so for somebody, like, I grew up as a very sensitive person. Uh, I did care a lot about what people th uh, thought of me. And it is still something that I'm struggling with, Especially, but not to this extent. I think also, like, Aisha, at 18 years old, or I think second year of, of college, mm -hmm. about that, 18, 19, I mean, that's a lot of pressure because you're really in these, these ages where you kind of talked about you're forming an identity. You're trying to figure out who yes. am I, you know, and you're yeah. just becoming comfortable and you're in groups that is different. And now you have this kind of added to everything else. And, and now you have to go through it again and say, well, who am I? So, I mean, if you want me asking, how long did it take you to start becoming comfortable um, in your skin and, and becoming comfortable with who you were? It took me seven years. Wow. It took me seven years. Um, my life from when I was diagnosed until I was about 25 was, uh, is that seven years? No, that's more. More or less. Seven, years, years. Yeah, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, seven years. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it would just went downhill because then again, I people also look at me like my family and stuff. They're like, oh, it's just skin. So they don't really understand it because it, vitiligo doesn't it, it it affects you mentally it's a psychology like brain fuck and um it also like it's telling you that there's a deeper rooted issue going on within your body so for me it's my skin is telling um my pigment it like my it's a miscommunication going on within my body saying that it needs to eat away at my pigment because it's bad for me 
Okay. So, so it's like an allergic, like allergic, an allergic reaction almost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's what causes this. But other than that, um, I mean, it's not contagious, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it can affect anybody of any age, any ethnicity, um, any gender. Um, health-wise, it doesn't, like, I'm not, like, it's not, I'm not going to die from it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it gets passed up a lot, which is why it's kind of hard to deal with because when you do tell, sometimes when you do open up about how you're feeling, living with it, some people are quick to say, well, you're not dying. At least you have your health, you know? So then you kind of suck it up and like, okay, like, I, like it is true. Like I'm not dying, but at the same time, you're going out there. I'm hurting. Yeah, I'm not dying, but I'm hurting. Mentally, <laughs> yeah. mentally for seven years. That's, uh, I mean, that's not healthy. Yeah, yeah. So what was that like? Like trying to get to that acceptance with your body? Like, what is that? What is that? What are you going through? It was tough because there was a lot on my mind. Because at 18, right? You're like you had mentioned earlier. Uh, it's a time where I'm trying to figure out who I am. Anyone's trying to figure out mm-hmm. who yeah. they are at that age. Uh, what you want to do as a career? Like you're heading into adulthood, you know. And for so for me, it was okay. My the pressure of my parents not really understood their Caribbean, right? So they don't really understand mental health. Uh, my daughter had said that I was depressed, but they're like, oh, like, whatever, you're just lazy, get to work, and da da da, da. So it was fighting against that. Um, it was fighting against the pressures of what to do with school, because like I said, I dropped out, so I had to get a full-time job. I was working at the B- at BMO Bank, um, but I didn't, like, I was a zombie just going through the motions of life every day like I would put on a smile for other people because they thought I should be okay so I made myself look like I was okay but I was dying inside every single day I was dying it's it's insane because it's a couple of uh, we've spoken to a couple of of guests as well Isha and and we always kind of come and talk about that like the people sometimes that seem you know they have that smile they're the happiest you know they're they're there to please and they make sure they please everybody else are usually the ones that are probably hurting and that's obviously a generalization but a lot of those people are hurting and and it was just it was just a cool way to tie it all back because you're not the first person that kind of coined right. it that way and it's so true right exactly and then that kind of ties into uh how born to rise came about because that's when i realized you know here well let me back it up a bit um so after my last attempt of suicide which was um I went out to a concert and there was like an after party for the weekend so I went with my with my girlfriends and it was like a yeah it was like a hotel party and I was in the bathroom and while I was in the bathroom like his like entourage were outside the door but they didn't know I was in the bathroom they're like yo there's too much people here we have to cook out we have to like kick people out so then somebody else is like okay we have to kick out like all the ugly people and the minute I opened the door to like they asked me to leave and oh my god that was hurtful it was hurtful but like I kind of knew it already you know like and then you know how they say like how powerful your thoughts are so I was like did I manifest that to happen in itself you know because I was already thinking like okay they're gonna tell me to get up because I believe I'm ugly you know what I mean mm-hmm. but I think what hurt me the most is that the girls that I was with like it was a realization that's like oh my god like maybe I'm not hanging out with the right crew because they kind of they're like oh well you're leaving I'm like okay bye and like nobody like paid it like I felt 
like nobody cared whether I existed or not. So I was like, why am I here? So I I drove home, bawling my eyes out, I got to the bathroom, I got that kitchen knife and I went on the bathroom floor and I was just like convincing myself to cut my wrist. I was like, just do it. Like nobody would care and da 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 and like just like everything I can think of to say badly to to actually do it was going through my head. Um but what stopped me was the thought of um, what it would do to my family and how selfish that would because I was always somebody that was against uh, suicide so I was like shit like actually you can't be you can't be that person and like think about uh, the, the 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 amount of um, hurt you would and pain you'd leave your family and because I know like without a doubt they love me right so um, that's really what like got my head on straight and like kind of backed up and I was like oh wait like my room's not clean I don't want them to like have to go and like mm-hmm. clean up my room <laughs> and you kind of brought yourself you kind of brought yourself back to there and it's it's crazy and by the way Isha thank you so much for opening up like like being real and honest and, mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of us hear stories of suicide a lot of us probably have lost people to suicide and it, it's mm-hmm. And I still feel it's never real enough. So when someone is able to kind of bring it and coin it and talk about it, I think it's really powerful because the thing, you know, I've never dealt with uh, those thoughts, luckily. Um, but the truth is, is I, I always found that people maybe don't understand how final it is, you know, how like mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. And the fact that you're kind of able to reel yourself back from that, like, like thank God, because like just to think fast forward, and this is something for, for you as well. I'm sure you reflect on it as well, but look how much you've accomplished yeah. and look how many people you've helped. And, and if yeah. it would have ended in that moment, you know, there would have been probably other people suffering that you've helped. It's just, it's yeah. just a way to coin it back Thank and not you. to try and say, I, I know what you've walked through, but I just want to say that's really powerful. And, and I had to kind of chime in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and I think what also, what I also realized is, cause I had also called my friend. I was like, okay, let me, I called my girlfriend and I was, I don't even remember. She remembers that conversation like yesterday. I don't, but I like blacked out with that conversation, but I know she helped me a lot as well. Um, but what I realized after was, it wasn't the fact that I actually wanted to die. It was the fact that I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. And every day that I woke up, I was feeling that. So it was trying, it was like the final way of ending that pain. And that's something that I always speak about also is that you never know what somebody else is going through. So yeah. that imagine if I didn't have, if I wasn't that uh, powerful or I didn't have that strength to think of the reasons not to commit suicide. What if I was very impulsive and just, you know what I mean? Based mm-hmm. off of that one last straw. So and it goes back so, to like that girl that you bullied in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in high school. Like you don't know what that other person is going yeah. through. What happens yeah. if the mean thing I said to her today exactly. is the last thing she wants to hear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it comes back full mm-hmm. circle. Yeah, we've got to be, we really do got to be, like when you kind of frame it that way, we've got to be super considerate. And, and it, yeah. it's weird because I guess it's just taking for granted, like be a nice person. But mm-hmm. really and truly, sometimes out of frustration, like we'll say things or we can do things and you just, you have no idea how that can affect someone. You know, yeah. it's, it's like the stupid thing where, you know, where um, 
you'll call someone, you know, make a fat joke and you don't really mean to be making a fat joke, but to that person, they've heard that joke a thousand times. Yes. And maybe that 1000 time is the time, you know, we got to be really, Thank you. yeah, we've got to be, yeah, I got to run applause. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point that they give is that like, we just like spread kindness, be nice. Like, like that nice erases so much hate. Like, you know, if we can do a counter, which I don't think you can, I think like one nice comment's worth like 50 bad ones. So like, yeah. be nice to people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's funny because some people could, could see it for what it is, which is what you described. And for some, like people they receive messages in different ways, right? And some people, no offense, can be very selfish to the point where you have to express to them that like karma you do something good for somebody else, it's going to come back to you, you know? Mm -hmm. That's funny because I, it was a, he was eight, I think he's eight. And that's how, is he eight? Yeah, he's eight. It was my eight year old, um, uh, Godson's friend. So I was like telling them about being kind to each other and whatnot. But like at that age, you know, like they are selfish and they want things for themselves so it's like exactly so it's like well you know if you i'm like you know do you know if you do something good for him that it's just that somebody else is going to do something good for you but they don't really understand it but then so now they're doing something nice for the person like okay well now you have to do something nice for me like <laughs> but, as long as it works as long exactly. as it works and they're doing good things you know you exactly it's so silly, but that's the way it is i really believe in some sort of guiding hand and i I mean, I don't know if it's karma, but there's something out there that yeah. definitely looks out for those that look out for others. Yeah. I would yeah. Say. Yeah, for so, sure. Aisha, going back, like you said, you know, by 25, that's when you start to, to realize that you start to get comfortable and you start mm -hmm. this, you know, born to rise. So take us through how the foundation, how the, you know, the nonprofit comes about and, and yeah. So basically, so after that last uh, mm -hmm. attempt, yeah. uh, I decided. How that old were you at the time? Like, were you 20? Was I was, when you were 25 or? Yeah. Okay. 25, no, 24, 24. Okay. Yeah, 20, I was, yeah, 24. And uh, so I, I like I said, uh, this is it. Like I need to take control of over my life now. Like I need to speak out. Like I don't want to be in this situation where I'm contemplating suicide again. So I um, spoke to my old, my eldest brother. I'm at his house right now. <laughs> and I basically told him like, is like it, I was sorry, is this the same brother that you want to follow through basketball and look down to exactly. your great ten? Okay, cool. Exactly. Let's, let's get some context. Cool. Yes, exactly. Um, so I was like, you know, like people judge me and like just basically having a pity party and like my life sucks and uh, uh, I have a bit of lag on every no one likes me and da da da. So my brother's a very positive person, like no bullshit, like. Um, he works tremendously on himself he's very like in tune with god and the universe very spiritual person okay. and for him like there's like he doesn't it's like he's like tunnel vision when it comes to like positive thoughts like any negative thoughts he's like move it away from me move it away from me yeah, like, move smash, it away smash, from smash. me like <laughs> yeah exactly so when i um when i told him how i was feeling like he got upset he's like He's like, <laughs> a lot of curse words. <laughs> um, he's like, listen, he's like, 
he's like he's like bro he's like you he's like you have little leg he's like you're not dying he's like you he's like uh, if you want something to change you have to change it he's like turn the positive uh your a negative into a positive he's like if you don't like how people are treating you then do something about it educate people turn this around you think you're the only one with little other people have little lego like spread uh, be a voice for them do something except instead of like crying for yourself it was very vulgar and i was like whoa like calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but um but that's what it took to get the message across and it was like because I was also complaining about like it, I, I felt like I wasn't being at service for the community and that's mm-hmm. something I've always wanted to do and I was working at a bank and I was like oh like this is not where I want to be you know so then I was like so that's what, and then he gave me like a whole bunch of self book self-help books so he introduced me to like the secret and uh Tony Robbins Les Brown and like I the secret became my bible like every day i would watch the documentary until i believed it i'd par- i would practice the law of attraction um and uh, affirmations until it worked for me and i was literally like in my room for like about a month like me time i became my own best friend again um and once i was confident enough with myself that's when i was able to like go out and willing to share my story because before when people would ask me oh like what's good like oh, da, da, da. because i wasn't accepting of it yet i didn't want to talk about it it was like don't ask me like i don't get like don't bring it up it's like it was like a taboo conversation to have um but then once i was like you know what like this is this was given to me for a reason and I have to make some the best out of the situation um I am beautiful a lot of people still think I'm beautiful I can't care what other people think that's not uh, the proper way to live so I decided to um share my story because I was more thinking about other people now that are younger than me that are in elementary schools and in high schools that are being bullied for like the way that they look whether they have little LIGO or not you know um, so yeah, so that's how I began speaking in schools. My friend's mom was a teacher and she asked me if I wanted to speak. She's like, hey, she's like, I heard that you want to start speaking in school. She's like, do you want to come talk to my grade five and six? So I went and I had a panic attack before. <laughs> that was your first like, speaking engagement? That was my first speaking engagement. And it was at the Priory Elementary School. And oh my goodness, I was so nervous, but the how they received me was so positive that that's when I realized that this is my calling. This is what I want to do. I don't care how much panic attacks I have before. Like, this is where I need to be. This is the message I need to be spreading. So, um, so yeah, that's how that started. And from that also born to rise, I always would just wanted people to know that I never, I didn't want people to feel or go through the things that I went through. So if I can share that, then um, it's letting other people know that you're not alone. And Born to Rise is basically a platform that speaks on that, that this is my story, vitiligo, living with vitiligo, but there's so many other people out there that are feeling the same, th- the same thing, but their situations are just different. So the more diverse um, variety I can have in stories, the more people I can touch, sending a message of that you're not alone and that you can rise above your challenges. Are, are those like the, the mantras or the, is that the mission statement of Born to Rise? Basically, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's a really cool initiative. I mean, um, I, I know you, you do speaking <laughs> engagements. Um, 
but also I guess kind of like uh, I just want to back it up a little bit because we're talking about the secret um, and maybe a lot of people haven't read that and you're talking about affirmations that kind of manifest in your destiny mm-hmm. um, you know we don't have to go super in detail about it but I guess the affirmations were really talking to yourself about how awesome you are and how beautiful mm-hmm. and, and you know and a lot of people don't know the the, the value of positive affirmations they're right. really really game changers because right. um, your mind is what you tell it over and over uh, did you manifest kind of like this idea that you wanted to have this platform to be able to kind of do what you're doing today was that like one of the things that you were kind of trying to manifest in, in your universe or was it different if that makes sense um no i didn't know it at the time if that makes sense okay. i didn't know it at the time so you know how they say um, in order to manifest something, you need to ask for it and then let it go. So that's what I basically do, did. And, but I didn't know that was like, I didn't do that consciously knowing that I was manifesting and, and would you something. Say, would you say that's like what it's manifested into is definitely from kind of like what you attracted? A million percent. I, I know. And for some of yeah. us, by the way, Isha, some people are going to be out there and be like, these guys sound like a, a bunch of freaks. <laughs> Um, but it's okay because they don't know what they're missing out, but definitely check it out. I mean, there's a lot of power in in, in that stuff there. So I guess bring it back full circle after your, your first speaking engagement, um, kind of like we've talked about the mantra, um, what, what are the kind of like the escalating steps now? Like how do you start growing this and making it, um, a bigger foundation or a bigger community? So at first I didn't, when, like, I didn't know where I wanted to go, what I, where I wanted to go with um, Born to Rise. I didn't know about anything about running a nonprofit or anything. I was like, I want to help people for free. Like, I don't want them to, it's not a way of me making money. I didn't care about the money. I just wanted people to feel confident within themselves, you know, and to know their own strength and to know how powerful they are as a human being, you know? Um, so when I first went into it and I saw how huge it was, it was like, oh shit, like, okay, so this is actually something. And wait, you want me to do this again? Like, <laughs> like it was yeah, well received. Okay, like, okay. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so basically it was just for a long time, it's been up until today, it's just been that annual um, Born to Rise show that I host. That's a, a live show that happens in Montreal. But recently what I've realized is with the speakers, because the speakers that I have at the show, they're, authentic real raw people that i find through on the streets that like that they don't have that platform they don't you know they're not celebrities because you know how like if you hear like uh let's say um what's his name uh steve harvey and like Mm -hmm. oprah winfrey like they have these crazy childhood stories right but then they're also like in a position where a lot of people with a negative mindset where they would think like oh, it's not obtainable. Like, that's not real for me. They got lucky and they're able to be where they are today. But, you know, the, yeah, they were, we probably had the same struggle, but they're famous. They can't really relate to me. So I look for speakers where, they're, where it's like your neighbor talking to you and letting you know that yeah. you're not alone, you know? So it's more relatable. Um, so the speakers that I have, like, they're, it's the first time telling their being so vulnerable in front of a crowd of like 300 people. Last year we had, it was, we reached our high mark of 500 guests that came out. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's hard work. That's hard work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, for sure. But um, how many, um, sorry, Isha, just to get context, how many shows have you done? 
So I've done five shows. So that was your yeah. fifth year. Okay. And, and yeah. each year, I guess it was 500, like the biggest one. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Normally Amazing. we do between like 200, 300. Wow. Um, but last year we got 500 people that came Good for out. you. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then COVID happened. It's like yeah. damper on every, it's a rain on exactly. everybody's parade. Really yeah. it was. But you know, yeah. I, I, Aisha, the, the first time I met you, the first time I saw you was, I think about five years ago at one of those uh, school speaking conventions. Right. And I mean, the fact that I remember you five years down the line and remember your story and reached out to you, uh, I think is a testament to how well you're spoken, how important your story is. Uh, and I really, really wanted to thank you uh, for that speech because it was absolutely amazing. So I wanted to thank you for that, for your Born to Rise and just getting in touch with us today again. Thank you. I appreciate amazing. that so much. And thank you guys for having me here. <laughs> Honestly, like any opportunity that I could share my story, uh, if it helps one person, then I've done my job. So this is an amazing opportunity to give to it. I think it's like we um, said in our exchange, email exchange that, mm -hmm. Uh, but your your podcast is very aligned with Born to Rise. So, yeah, it was yeah. only natural that we'd be here having this conversation. <laughs> and you know what? It's, it's clear that you have a very positive mindset. Um, you know, I think your brother probably rubbed up on you, rubbed off on you uh, in, in a big way. Um, but what I, what I would say is, like, do you kind of look at your brother as a mentor figure? Like, what's his role in your life? Because it seems like he has a lot of influence and it seems. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I, I kind of hit that one, eh? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't think I do anything without running it by him first. Like, like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Um, and he's also, like, a plant-based vegan, so he's, like, trying to get me to be that, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, anything that I need to do business-wise, like, he's my go-to person. For and, sure. and would you say that a lot of your inspiration and what you're bringing to the stage is kind of a reflection of the things that you've learned um, by being mentored. And, and by that regard, would I say that you consider yourself a mentor to, to others or are you more just there to, to shed light and kind of be a guide, if that makes sense? That's something I struggle with a lot. Because um, when I hear the word mentor, I'm thinking that you have to have some type of certificate or schooling mm -hmm. to be a mentor, you know? Um, so I don't like to call myself that. Um, I think it's more me being a person um, with the platform to be able to give you an opportunity to um, share your story. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm a, I like, if it was a facilitator, yes. Oh, That's a good yes. one. That's such a humble, yeah. like a a humble way. Of, yeah. yeah, we'll call you facilitator. We'll take the humble route on this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to change that on my Instagram profile. Facilitator. <laughs> You're welcome. You better hurry up and trade back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Aisha, I mean, your story is, is not over. You're now, like, you were modeling for Simon. Uh, mm -hmm. You have other modeling contracts. So take, like, how does that shape your life? Like, how does that... I, I don't want to use the word validation because I think it, it might sometimes have a negative uh, connotation to it, but does it right. get like, and, I, and I'm going to use it now because I just can't think of a, of a better word, yeah. but does it give you that validation of, you know, everything that's come before that, you know, people have called me ugly, uh, people have kicked me out because I wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. to a certain standard, and now when people go shopping, they can see me up on I the wall. I am the standard. Yeah, I am yeah. that standard. 
Yeah, exactly. So, um, cause I, as I was a child model and right before I was diagnosed, I was doing a little bit of modeling, but then when I saw the spots coming up, I was like, Oh hell no. Like nobody would want to see me looking like this. And the Winnie Harlow, um, the mm-hmm. supermodel Winnie Harlow, she wasn't a model yet. She would, she didn't, uh, uh no one knew who she was uh, at the time that I was diagnosed and dealing with everything. Um, but it was, everything started manifesting and unfolding for itself once I started to change my way of thinking. And so Born to Rise kind of happened at the same time as my modeling career, where an agency um, just reached out to me and said that Derma Blend Pro, that was the first, um, uh, my first modeling gig that I had gotten. And the agency that found that gig for me they just asked if I wanted to sign with them so I was like oh okay cool like I'll just do it but I you see I like modeling but it's not my passion I enjoy doing it because it's another way for me to get my message across and to show other people that like hey look at me like I once thought I couldn't do it but look at me look where I'm at so if I could be here you can be here too you know so it's the message that's more important for me rather than being that supermodel like the Winnie Harlow or the Gigi Hadid and Mm -hmm. like I mean it would be cool (laughs) I do have like a little bit of goals in within that which is like to walk in New York Fashion Week walk in um, um, Paris Fashion Week and all that stuff but one year is fun. I could do it once and like, I'll be satisfied with that. It's, it's more of a bucket list. Yeah, a bucket list. Like, exactly. Uh, yeah, cool. Exactly. And did, did yeah. Winnie Har- like did Winnie Harlow's, you know, kind of rise to fame influence you and getting back out there? And, and did she have any effect on you? Um, so she definitely did in the sense where I was happy because she was doing exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, but on a larger, way larger scale than what I'm capable of doing. So it was really nice to see somebody out there and make my life a bit easier because I could compare, like when people see me that with Vitalaga, I'd be like, oh, well, I have the same thing that Winnie Harlow has, you know what I mean? And there was no negative connotation. Like it was said about like, she, she embraces it. Right. Mm-hmm. So Whereas I could say like, oh, people also call it like the Michael Jackson disease, which it's not a disease. Um, and, but there's a negative connotation um, when you, when you uh, relate it to Michael Jackson, because apparently, allegedly, um, he did the reverse treatment. There's a reverse treatment that you can do to make your whole skin go completely white. Mm-hmm. So he was never accepting of little like you know mm-hmm. so it's it's instead so it's nice to say that oh like i look like the the model winnie instead of like the michael jackson you know what i mean so yeah, for sure yeah for sure um but i would say like uh what i do like to ask everybody aisha is like um obviously you have a platform you have a message but what would you like to le- leave the listeners with today like what would be your your message to them if you had to give them one if I had to give them one is um, it would be that you're more powerful than you think and that you were born to rise in the sense that no matter what obstacles, no matter what challenges you go through in life, it is put in your life for a reason. It's, uh, it's a lesson to be learned to get you to the next level, to get you to be the best version of yourself. So um don't be too hard on yourself. Accept everything with, with grace. Um, 
learn from your learn from your mistakes learn from whatever challenges that you go through but don't stay down make sure that you rise up nice that's amazing to hear that was so concise and so well worded now we always end our episodes with a little time to plug yourself where can we reach you where can our listeners you know follow you send you messages so plug away the floor is yours all right so you can find me on instagram at aisha a-i-e-s-h-a robinson underscore um born to rise our born to rise instagram is at born to rise dot mtl and i recently started a, a new page called black class where i'm going to be where it's just the a sister account of born to rise where it's just going to be promoting uh stories of um of, of, of uh, melanated um, individuals. This obviously um, is in light with everything that's going on today, um, just giving a platform for colored people to express themselves and share their stories. So that's Black Class, that's B-L, I had to be cool with it. So it's <laughs> B-L-V-C-K dot K-L-A-S. We'll make sure to put all of them. I look at the production team right now. Yeah. They're going to make sure it goes yeah. everywhere it needs to be. Um, Aisha, I want to say thank you for your story. Thank you for being vulnerable and thank you for being awesome. Um, I learned a lot. And by the way, thank you for being our first female guest. It is no. so important for us. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the record. And I can promise you it won't be the last time I think that we get the opportunity to speak. And um, from Keep It a Frank, from Mike, myself, and the team, um, a sincere thank you, and we're very excited to see all the awesome things you accomplish. Um, this was amazing. Thank you so much, Aisha. It was great seeing you again. Thank you guys so much. Keep up the great work. I look forward to hearing all the other podcasts and your second female speaker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good job. All right, guys. And like always, we'll see you on the next episode of Keep It a Frank. Keep it a Frank. Mike, honestly, every time somebody comes on, I am always floored at how much I learn and how much I basically take away from the podcast, which is funny because a lot of people think we do this um, only for the listeners, only for the views, but I've grown tremendously and Aisha's story was no different. Um, one really of bullying, of becoming comfortable with herself and really becoming, I coined it in the actual podcast, I said the standard, right? Um, from having a condition that would probably keep a lot of people down, she found a way to overcome that and actually thrive. Yeah, you know, like I, I think one important lesson that I, I learned from this is just owning, owning everything that makes you different. Yeah. You know, so who cares if you look different? Who cares about the color of your hair, the color of your skin, the color of your eyes? Just own it and just go about your day just kicking ass and, you know, and being awesome. Names. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I would say for sure. I mean, she also spoke about this period really where she almost locked herself up for a month and fell back in love with herself, right? And I think to what you're saying, it's really important to embrace, hey, this is who I am. I am completely comfortable with who I am. And, and when you start feeling that way, I think you become very powerful. And I mean, if nothing more, guys, we just heard a story where it's exactly that. It's someone that was uncomfortable, spoke about taking her life twice, was humiliated by the weekend's entourage, which is kind of a big thing for anybody that's a fan of anybody. Um, but being able to take all of those um, shots and all of those uh, trials and turbulations 
and basically manifest your destiny and turn it around and and basically now become a voice and someone that is actively um, teaching other people about real problems, not just bullying, but also the harm that those words can have and, and you never know how it affects other people. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and Frankie, while uh, you and Aisha were fangirling over the secret, uh, there was one thing that uh, stuck out to me and it was, uh, you know, she had said something about uh, how she didn't want to commit suicide uh, because, oh no, my room uh, is still a mess. And it brought me back to uh, an article I read from Chuck Palahniuk, he's the author of Fight Club. Uh, and if anybody hasn't read this, please go out and read it. It is honestly the best thing I've ever read, where he talks about how to live a meaningful life. And the whole article is step by step on how to commit suicide. But it, and, it, and, it, and if you know Chuck Palahniuk, there's always a twist at the end, but he goes about how you know, make sure to clean your room because if you people find the dead body, you know, they're gonna, your room's a mess. How embarrassing. Call people you love and tell them, you know, and reconnect with them. And he goes about this whole list. And then by the end of it, he kind of flips the script and he says, well, now that your room is clean, now that you've gotten rid of unwanted things and you've reconnected with people, learn how beautiful life is. Wow. And it, and it just shivers. brought me back to that article. And, and it was just a throwaway line that she said, but it stuck with me because... Like she realized in that moment and how small, but like, oh shit, my room is dirty. But like, yeah, like you, there's so many, and that's a little effect. But then to see the ripple that came, you know, seven years later from this, like it, it was amazing. Absolutely. And we'll make sure, Mike, that we get our awesome production team. By the way, guys, we have an awesome production team, by the way. They don't get enough of, enough love and praise, but we have Dana uh, and we have Giovanni that really take care of everything behind the scenes. But we'll have them throw that article um, in the description as well and really and truly guys I know I probably sound like the biggest kiss ass but thank you thank you so much for tuning in thank you for supporting the podcast sharing uh, as much as you can we really do appreciate it I know uh, on my end Mike I've been having an absolute blast and I think it's probably the same for you it's so much fun and I'm getting to get into contact with people that I haven't spoken to in years so it's so great to just get to know them on a level that you know, is so much deeper and, and so much more fulfilling. And with that, I guarantee you guys that you do not want to miss the next episode. Episode nine that is coming out is going to be just off the chains uh, with awesome positivity, awesome messages. And I think it's going to be some a story that a lot of people can relate to. Mike, if we want to make sure they know where to get these things, where should they be following us? So give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, it's keeping it frank, PC. Uh, give us a like, give us a share, follow us on every social media. Facebook is there as well. Uh, share our stories, like our photos, give Aisha a follow, uh, send her a positive message that you heard her and that you are listening to her and that you appreciate everything that she's done. Yeah. And, and with that, I'm going to sign this out and say thank you. And we'll see you on the next episode of Keeping It Frank. This is the moment that awesome music kicks in. So turn up the dial a little bit right now. Keeping it free.